episode 142 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined by Jim Scroggs. Jim, who was with us once before for our Captain America Civil War commentary, is back. How you doing, Jim? Doing all right, Sean. Uh, since, I guess, in honor of Paul not being here, I also do have some Haribo gummies I'm munching oh, on at the moment. Nice. All right. So, yeah, Paul is here in spirit and in dining preferences or dessert preferences. So, anyway, uh, this episode is going to be a spoiler review and discussion about Avengers Damage Control. That is the virtual reality experience from Marvel Studios and ILM X Lab that is available right now at select locations of the void. It's actually been open since October 18th. Uh, This episode is going up after the second weekend, or maybe a little bit earlier if you're on our Patreon, but it's going up after the second weekend. For movies, we do spoiler reviews on opening weekend, but I figured we might as well wait and provide a little extra time because this experience may be not quite as easy to get to as as, uh, as going and seeing a movie because, well... Void locations aren't everywhere, as I know some of you are driving hours and hours to go to a void location to be able to experience Avengers Damage Control for yourself. But this is going to be a spoiler discussion, Uh, so we will be sharing uh, plot details from the experience. So if you haven't gone and experienced Avengers Damage uh, Damage Control and you plan to, then please pause the show, and then uh, and then we'll go ahead and you can come back to it once you've gone through it. But actually, you know, before we get into the spoiler discussion, I don't normally open with non-spoiler thoughts, but maybe this time it, I guess it makes sense to do that, Jim. So uh, without getting into any, any spoilers, just uh, summarize your, your overall thoughts on uh, having been through damage control. Uh, overall? I enjoyed it. I thought it's something that a Marvel fan, especially like us, should at least do once. I thought it was I thought it was well done for um, what this medium is and complete um, uh, transparency here. I have never done anything like VR related, and I'm not even I'm, I'm throwing in the PlayStation VR because I don't think that really counts necessarily considering you're you're seated for the most part of it, but mm. this is very immersive walking around and all that. But yeah, for if you're a Marvel fan like we are, like I said, it's definitely something that should should at least be done once. It was a, I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I agree. If you can get to one, and I know not everybody can, but if you can get to a participating void location and experience Avengers Damage Control, you absolutely should. I've been able to do it twice. I got to do it the first time. A couple of weeks ago, they did a, a press event, and I got to do it so I could review the experience, Which I and I wrote that review over on the website, marvelstudiosnews.com. That's a non-spoiler review if you want more non-spoiler information on it. And I also did it uh, the very first round, because I had already purchased my ticket before I knew that there was going to be a press day, but I would have wanted to do it at least twice anyway. So I, I had already uh, purchased my ticket for the very first round at 9 a.m. at the Void in downtown Disney in Anaheim. And so I went and I, I went through it uh, that time as well. So having been through it twice, I mean, I, I recommend going through it at least twice because the first time going through the experience, I'm just sitting there almost looking at everything. And it was very easy to forget that I'm not watching a movie this time, that I'm supposed to be an active participant in this experience. And so I'm just sitting there, pun partially intended, marveling at everything that I'm seeing. And I'm not necessarily doing what I'm supposed to do. The, although, I mean, I played the game and I played okay, but uh, the second time through, it was more uh, playing through the actual experience. But it, it was an absolute blast. I, I really loved uh, Avengers Damage Control, and I had pretty high expectations going into it. I had done uh, Star Wars Secrets of the Empire at the Void. That was running for a couple of years, and I had went and done that, and I thought that was great. You obviously expect the technology to evolve as it goes on, and now this being a Marvel experience, I had pretty high expectations going into it, uh, and they were exceeded. I could feel myself smiling. I had the big headgear on, so I couldn't see myself smiling, but I could feel myself smiling through pretty much the entire experience, and I know there, I know there were some moments uh, where that grin was just stretched completely ear to ear uh, in Avengers Damage Control, so that's the... The non-spoiler take on damage control is if you can experience it, go do it. Uh, this really is a uh, this is a really fun one. Uh, so now the spoiler warning is in full effect. So spoilers are fair game from this point forward. So if we've now convinced you to go see or to go experience damage control uh, and you don't want to be spoiled, then pause the show and come back after uh, come back after you've done it. So getting into the spoilers, I guess we can summarize the plot a little bit, and I probably could have done this in the non-spoiler section, but uh, because some of most of this information is in the story trailer, so it opens up with 
you you are intro you are welcome to a Wakandan International Outreach Center. You are welcomed, of course, by Shuri, as played by uh, Letitia Wright, and she is, of course, the the Princess of Wakanda and the director of the Science and Information Exchange. She has created these emergency response suits that are a combination of Wakandan technology, which is, of course, powered by vibranium, and Stark tech, Iron Man tech. And so that's why you have these Iron Man-looking slash Wakandan-looking suits that you get to play in uh, in uh, Avengers Damage Control. And so she's created these things. She's giving you a tour of you're, – you're there for uh, – you're there to test these suits. They're not supposed to be in action yet. You're there for a test. And then we find out that the, the outreach center is being hacked. And it's being hacked by some threat. And, of course, we're going to find out, and as you do in the story trailer, that that's Ultron. And then because of this attack, Shuri just figures, why not use this to test the suits? Even though you only have a 5% chance of living, Shuri believes in you, and you're going to be off and running. So you get to learn how to do... Uh, first thing is you get to learn how to use the suits. You get to learn how to shield yourself from oncoming attacks. You get to learn how to shoot repulsor blasts. You get to learn how to do the different levels of that. One hand, two hand, and also charging up uh, for a full attack, for a much more powerful attack if you absorb enough energy in your uh, when you're shielding yourself from attacks. Very similar, actually, to, of course, Black Panther and his suit being able to absorb kinetic energy and then redistribute it, as we saw in, uh, in his film and as we've seen in, in subsequent team-ups. So we have all of these different... So we have these different elements. of These are the main gameplay elements. And what I liked about this, Jim, is that this is simple enough for anybody who hasn't, whether you've done a VR experience or not, the gameplay of this is, I thought was very intuitive, very, uh, very simple, because I think you have to know if you're Marvel Studios, if you're ILM X Lab, that you're probably going to be attracting a lot of people to their very first VR experience. As you said, this was your first VR experience at The Void. Not everybody is going to have played Secrets of the Empire, and even if they did, they might have only done it once. So you're mostly dealing with players who are who are going to be a novice at this kind of thing. Uh, so I, I, the just the gameplay portion of it, I, I thought was very intuitive. Yeah, and you're right. And for people who wear glasses like myself, it is fairly easy to do this and still wear your glasses like you can fit the uh, headset on pretty pretty well and i don't know how you did your sean but they put because i went to the void location mm-hmm. um here outside of atlanta at the battery at suntrust park and like they kind of had an employee do it with me because i don't i think i was the only person there oh really who was doing it yeah so i could tell he had done it once or twice okay like even, even probably more than that but I mean, still, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily need a teammate, but it is cool that they were like, oh, this is your uh, partner today. And like, yeah. oh, it's, it's a void employee. You've <laughs> probably done this a few times. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. With uh, for my experience, the first time I was on a press day, it was myself and another member of the press. We were the only two there because the press day was um, it wasn't like it was a VR experience, not a movie. So it's the kind of thing they can run through several times throughout the day. So the press day wasn't it wasn't like a press screening where it's like the movie showing at this time everybody's going to be here at the same time uh there were different times throughout the day that we could book for uh for the press experience and so i went with and i took the earliest slot because i wanted to get in there and, and go through damage control just as soon as i possibly could and so in that early spot with me it was just one other member of the press i guess everybody else ran through it later but anyway we just went through it as as two players and neither one of us, of course, had done it before, uh, but we had both done Secrets of the Empire uh, for the, the Star Wars one. So we both at least had some familiarity and some idea of what to expect. Um, even though the mechanics of this are a little bit different, you're not shooting a blaster like you are in Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. This is a, a gunless experience, which ILMX Lab said they, they were proud of. And of course, I mean, you're, wearing, you're using Iron Man slash Black Panther tech, so you don't need, uh, you don't need a blaster. So um, it was just one other person. And then the second time I went through it at the Void in Anaheim, that was with myself and two other people. They weren't part of my uh, – I, I didn't arrive with them. I was still just there by myself at 9 o'clock on a Friday morning, uh, but because obviously they had to move through everybody. So uh, I got paired up with, uh, with two other people who were there. And so we were the team for the second run through. And I, I thought it was cool. I mean, it, it's kind of cool teaming up with people that you don't actually know. I mean, I'm sure it's awesome to go through it with your friends. And I definitely plan to go through it with uh, some people I know. But 
it's also kind of cool to go through it with people that you don't know because I mean first time the Avengers teamed up they didn't know each other all that well so I kind of I think it almost recreates that experience if you don't know each other it's almost like the Avengers one experience and then that's why I'll have to go back through it with my friends because then it'll be you know the sequel experiences you're fighting with Avengers that you know so I think that'll be uh, that part of it'll be a lot of fun but uh, it didn't really I, I think it, what was cool about it though is I mean, you almost felt, even with people I didn't know, like, I mean, I almost felt like I knew them because we already have this connection of loving the Marvel Cinematic Universe, clearly, and being big fans of it. So everybody knows, um, and everybody's kind of reacting to the same things and having their mind blown by the same types of things. So uh, it was cool going through it. And uh, But yeah, the experience of the Void, if you've never been there, I mean, you... You go in, you the vests are on these hooks, and the, you put on your vest, and they you know show you how to clip it and make sure you're you're strapped in, and then they show you how to put on your helmet, how to adjust it, how to adjust the volume and everything, and then they kind of guide you over to where you get to uh, to where you get to start your experience. So uh, the story portion of this it really kicks into gear after you get your after you do your little practice with repulsor blasts and the shields and everything then it looks the ultron bots are attacking and as it looks like things are not going to go your way all of a sudden you find yourself in the sanctum sanctorum having to walk down and this is where it was, it was really cool because there was a different element to the gameplay here so you went from blasting and shielding to now you're walking and it appears like it feels like you're walking down not really downstairs but down ramps in the sanctum sanctorum you're not going down anywhere you're walking flat but it just feels that way uh and then of course you run into dr strange as played by benedict cumberbatch and he sets the stage for this story and we're not talking about canon just yet but he sets the stage for this story it is taking place uh post end game because uh, Doctor Strange actually refers to just in case you've been snapped, at, you were snapped out of existence. Here's a quick recap. He runs through Infinity Stones, only to mainly get to the point of talking about the Mind Stone and how that created Ultron, uh, and how the Avengers thought that that threat was uh, was had been extinguished. But now it appears that uh, that he's been lying dormant, uh, lying in wait, and now he's ready to attack again. So Doctor Strange kind of gives you the lowdown of what's uh, of what's going on and. It's just cool to be standing in the Sanctum Sanctorum and Doctor Strange is talking to you and it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, I don't know about you, Jim, but like when I talk about smiling my way through the experience, that was a huge part of it. I probably would have looked like the biggest idiot if I was on camera in a scene with Benedict Cumberbatch as he's running through it. I probably looked like Scott Lang in Avengers Endgame when Thor is recapping Dark World. Because you remember when the por- the portal starts coming at you, mm-hmm. I, 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 automatically I'm like, oh, that's from Doctor Strange, uh-huh. and then you start, like you said, moving your way through the through the through the sanctum of the, the hallways. And I got to give credit to ILM Marvel, whoever whoever yeah. else is involved in this. That sequence was incredible, mm-hmm. just because, like you're right, every other word, and I know this is a family show was, oh, hmm. <laughs> I'm walking through the sanctum. Yep, and then yes. I heard his voice. I'm like, oh, cool. That's 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 Benedict. And then he obviously it's it's immersive, and yep. there are there are barriers, if you will, that you can touch. But he was like right there, and I'm like, yep, wow. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was blown away. And I mean, I knew that it was going to be there. I mean, you because I saw the story trailer. I mean, even in the press release, we knew that Letitia Wright was involved in this. Benedict Cumberbatch was involved in this, and so you. You know what to expect, and even there's a piece of the Doctor Strange sequence in the uh, in the story trailer. So even knowing that it was coming, though, like once you're there and experiencing it, uh, it doesn't matter what you knew ahead of time. You're just I was just completely lost in that moment, totally immersed in that moment with Doctor Strange. And so once he gives you the breakdown of, of what's going on, then he puts you through uh, he puts you through another portal. And now it's time to actually go help the Avengers. And the reason this is called Avengers Damage Control is because the main mission is actually taking place at a damage control facility. And it's actually the a quick little Easter egg for those of you who may not know. Uh, the damage control facility that this mission is at, this is the Stark Industries campus in Long Beach. Well, they say just outside of Los Angeles, uh, but geographically it's Long Beach. But... Um, just the it's the Stark Industries campus that we see in the first couple of Iron Man movies. Remember, we didn't really see much of it after that. Um, I guess maybe a tiny little bit of it in in Iron Man three, but the campus where you saw like behind the, the windows, behind Pepper Pots, or uh, 
or Obadiah Stane or whoever it was in, in the various scenes in those first two films. And it's just cool to have that actually be a, a part of this experience, part of the MCU, adding in those kinds of Easter eggs. But when you first arrive, it's time to take on some Ultron bots, and you're you're doing your thing, of course, but you're starting to be overwhelmed, and then all of a sudden, help arrives, and it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, as played by Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, respectively, and then you also get uh, Spider-Man showing up to help you out. Spider-Man may sound like Tom Holland, it's not Tom Holland in, uh, in Avengers Damage Control, he wasn't available for it, but... Uh, uh, that first opening battle was was so great, and that's where you get. I just love the different levels to this. The way it escalates bit by bit. Like you get, you get your training. You get to talk to Doctor Strange. Now you're fighting alongside a couple of Avengers, and then a couple more. You know, and then a couple more get added into the mix, and you actually get to because of the as Spider Man saves you from some huge like crate being. I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head now. It's some he's saving you for some huge thing that's being thrown at you. Uh, but then for additional pr- uh, protection, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, they actually shrink you down. And so then you get to see a giant pigeon, a la Ant-Man and the Wasp. So all the different levels to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or you're seeing it from all the different perspectives that you might be used to, except uh, although we don't go to space in this. But that opening, that first opening battle was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was really incredible, especially seeing, like, I I don't want to say I got lost or forgot where I was but for a split second I you see the giant pigeon and I'm like wait what's happening yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of threw me off for a second but yeah see Scott and Hope show up and obviously you know Spider-Man flies in and catches the crate and I'm like okay cool now I'm just very small this is again like oh like I said earlier oh hurt um <laughs> yeah it's no, it's it was so crazy. And like, I'm laughing. Paul Rudd's got really funny lines, one of which is in the story trailer when he's talking about how Doctor Strange interrupted date night, which you know, interrupted their date. Which Hope is saying, you know, of course, watching reruns of the Golden Girls on the couch is not a date. Um, uh, jokes on you, Paul Rudd. Yes, that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, or jokes on Evangeline Lilly because it totally is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, like that part was that part was so cool. And then when you're adding another element to the to the gameplay, so you had your first fight at this damage control facility, but now Ultron is taking off in a helicarrier, and you have to catch up to him. And so you get to pilot a shuttle to get to uh, you. Ha- you get to pilot a shuttle to get all the way to Ultron and catch up to him on that helicarrier. So it's another element of uh, of gameplay here that you're doing. You get to have a completely different experience here. You get a break, and that's. From uh, an overall perspective, that's what I also loved about damage control is I thought it was so well-paced in terms of what you were doing and how long you were doing that before you moved on to the next thing. You never really got a chance to be bored of doing anything, to lose interest. And the story was and the story was carrying forward the whole time, no matter what was going on. And as you were going through these different, game, uh, these different elements of the gameplay, the story was still front and center. And I, and I really enjoyed that element of it. Like Spider-Man is swinging around. As you've got uh, you know, Spider-Man swinging around as you're doing all of this, and also Falcon and War Machine, they enter the picture at the damage control facility, but then they're they're with you because, of course, they can fly as you're piloting a shuttle. Because the suit that you have, and I'll talk more about the suits, but you don't have flight in the suit, even though there is that Iron Man influence. Uh, you can't fly, so you have to pilot a shuttle. Uh, but Spider-Man swinging around, so you're still fully immersed in this as you're going through this completely different gameplay experience. But pilot- piloting the shuttle was one of my, uh, I mean... They're all one of my favorite parts of the experience, but uh, I really liked the pilot because that was not one that I really expected based on any of the information I had ahead of time uh, that we would do uh, a little bit of pilot work. Yeah, um, that was probably the only thing that, for lack of a better term, confused me because when you go into the shuttle, I didn't realize there was a – or at least I just probably just didn't listen to them hard enough. There's a little hand pad you have to mm-hmm. put on the wall that you have to essentially to activate it. I didn't realize that. So I was looking around. I saw my partner. He put his hand. I'm like, oh, oh, because I, <laughs> yeah. I immediately went straight for the, uh, for yeah. the, the wheel, controls. the steer, yeah. steering column. Yeah. And I was like, what's happening? And I turn around and he, I just happened to around. If he's there, I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. 
it was, uh, it, it, but I, I mean, it was the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, and there's like these little green lights that you got to tap to get everything going. And so, uh, but yeah, once we got through it, so you, you go through this shuttle experience, it's not that long. Uh, you catch up to the, the helicarrier fairly quickly and then you go to, and then it's time for the final battle with Ultron and you have this mega Ultron that is composed of, I mean, and I want to get a better look at it. I know there's supposed to be some, there's also supposed to be some MCU Easter eggs in terms of what exactly he's composed of uh, as you catch up to him on this helicarrier. But the concept of Mega Ultron was, uh, I after going through the experience, I got to interview some of the creators, including Marvel Studios executive producer Dave Bouchore, who mentioned that, you know, the Mega Ultron design that you're battling there is it's actually taken from or inspired by some unused concept art from Avengers Age of Ultron. Also, Spider-Man suit, by the way, uh, it doesn't match up what you've seen exactly in the movies, but it is the Spider-Man suit that is coming to Disney theme parks. So uh, it's taken from that design, which was by Ryan Minerding, the head of Marvel Studios Visual Development, who, of course, has been designing Spider-Man's MCU suit. So it's still got that connection there. But you have this battle with Mega Ultron, and what's so awesome about this is, ah, man, it just feels like a full-on Avengers battle. I mean, you, and there are different elements to it, like as you, you start out okay and you're fighting with the same heroes who have been part of the story, and then at different at different stages it looks like things are starting to turn in Ultron's favor, and then you see... Uh, uh, Black Panther and Okoye show up, and Hulk shows up, which was a huge thing for me. I mean, as it would be for anybody, but everybody who's listened to this show for any length of time knows that I grew up a massive Hulk fan. That was my favorite Marvel hero as a kid. So when Hulk showed up, and now I'm fighting with the Hulk, that was an absolute blast. But the moment that that really got me in Avengers Damage Control, because I was asked what was my, my favorite moment uh, in Avengers Damage Control. I was asked after I went through the experience the first time. My favorite part is when all all seems lost, all these heroes have come together, and it's still not working. And then out of the corner, you know, from I think like left to right in the frame, you see like a bolt of lightning and the, and the Bifrost shooting down and almost like shooting into Ultron, and it's Thor. And it's totally like the Infinity War Wak- uh, Wakanda moment for Thor entering and it felt like just being in the middle of that moment. I mean, I I was so tempted. I didn't, but I was so tempted to scream, like, you guys are all screwed now. Like, I felt like going full Ruffalo in that moment uh, when Thor showed up. Uh, and then, of course, Captain Marvel shows up, and then it's just, and then it's all, it's just an all-out brawl uh, with Ultron to finish the whole thing up. But that Thor entrance was, uh, that was something special. I definitely kind of, not... Not through my hands up, but it was definitely like a like a moment of cheering or celebration. Yeah. Right? I didn't I didn't expect especially that iteration of the character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. It was definitely like a like a Thor enters Wakanda moment. And I, one thing I want I don't know if we're gonna get to this eventually, but the music cues. Oh yeah. As each not as each each person was coming in, but as the story was escalating on that final final battle, the yep. music cues we were hearing it was was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean I know it's uh, you know. For you could argue that well, the heroes don't hear the music as the story plays out. I don't care. I like hearing the music. It is part of the immersion, even if it's not the most uh, realistic portion of the experience. So uh, I loved it because yeah, you do get you get a little bit of Doctor Strange music in the Sanctum. You get a little bit of Ant Man and Wasp music when you're teaming up with them, and then you get the Alan Silvestri Avengers music as you're getting to this massive battle and, and your, you know, your final, uh, you know, you fire your final shots on Ultron. Of course, the Avengers are victorious thanks to you. And then Cork shows up to supervise the cleanup from another realm. So he just comes in to basically say hi. And it is Taika Waititi who plays Korg in that. So, um, I think the actual MCU voices in this are, um, uh, Letitia Wright, of course, who actually appears in live action in the, uh, in the intro video, and then Benedict Cumberbatch, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Taika Waititi. It's not Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Thor doesn't speak, so it doesn't have to be Hemsworth. And it's not, as I said, uh, Tom Holland, who's Spider-Man. Ultron is an MCU voice, but it's not James Spader. 
It's actually Ross Marquand who did Red Skull slash Stonekeeper, who filled in for Hugo Weaving's Red Skull uh, in Infinity War and Endgame. So that still counts as a as an established MCU voice. So uh, it was really cool being able to to hear all those voices, be part of the uh, be part of the experience, and and the whole thing. I mean, the most important thing is I just. I felt like I was in the MCU. I don't care if it's canon or not, and we will talk about that, but I felt like I stepped into the MCU and got to be part of the action, and I was fighting alongside those heroes, and I got to have the thrills that I've had in watching these heroes come together in these massive Marvel team-up films, but then also feel like this time I'm part of the action. I'm aware that I'm not actually there fighting alongside Avengers, but they did a really good job. Uh, ILM, X-Lab, and Marvel Studios of making me feel like I was right there. So the experience was very immersive. It was very intuitive. And I thought it told a really good story. I mean, it's it's short. I mean, ultimately, the entire experience is maybe 15, 20 minutes, somewhere in between there. But it was a well-told story, and I think there are elements to it that, that speak to the focus on character that Marvel Studios has always had that carries forward uh, in this experience and in the story that they created for this. Um, but I, I absolutely loved Avengers Damage Control. I can't wait to go back. I know it's going to be running for a few, at least a few more weeks. So I look forward to going uh, going through it at least once more, but probably a couple more times. Yeah, like I said earlier, I, I definitely recommend it. The only, um, I don't want to say nitpick, but the only thing that I, could, I, that I remember that was a bit of an issue was, and it's, I don't know if this was the equipment or what, but you know, put put the arms up for the shield, you know, extend mm. hands for the blasters. That didn't work all the time. So I don't want to obviously, you know, dam- uh, damage for lack of a better term, the um, the entire experience just because of that, because I, you know, that could have just easily been of just a bad rig, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Like there is, I, I noticed the first time I was having issues with the shield, but I, I think it's because the, what I noticed though, and, and this is what they stressed when I went through it a second time at Anaheim is that you have to keep, cause all these actions that you're doing to shield yourself, to fire your repulsor blasts, it's all through your hands. You have to keep your hands up in front of your visor. If you can't see your hands, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So um, and I don't know if that was the issue with you or not, but I noticed with the shield, because the shield is you can do it with one arm or or with two, but because it involves putting your you know putting your fists up like you're you know blocking yourself like you're boxing or something, because it involves that, the tendency is to bring your hands closer to your face, and as you bring them too close to your face, the visor doesn't see your hands anymore, uh, and then the shield goes away. So you kind of have to keep your hands out. It's not. It's not as quite as natural of a position just because of the way the visor is. It sticks out from the front of your face. So you do have to kind of be careful about that. So make sure you are seeing your hands. If you're not seeing your hands, then it's not going to do whatever move you're intending to do. If you can see your hands and it's still not working, then, yeah, I, I don't know what to – that's uh, that's probably just a, a technical issue with whatever equipment they have at that spot. I want to talk about the, the story of damage control uh, a little bit more here. So the Ultron thing – I like that they found a way to give Ultron another story, whether this is canon or not. But I think the coolest thing about this is actually what it says about Shuri with the with her designing these suits. I mean, she is, I mean, she was the smartest person in the world even before Tony died, but now this is post-Endgame, so Tony is gone. And, and so now there's there's really no debate over who the smartest person in the world is, who the resident tech genius is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it totally makes sense that she would combine uh, Wakandan and Stark technology to create these suits. But I also like what this, the way she created these suits, like it illustrates the difference between the differences between Shuri and Tony Stark, because we've seen Tony do stuff like this before. When Tony wants things that protect the world that are emergency response units, one of those was Ultron, which didn't work out so well. Uh, but he also had his Iron Legion, so it was all just dependent on AI, and those things were, of course, pretty powerful, even though they were running on, uh, even though Jarvis was running them. For Shuri, she's not creating AI suits. These suits actually have to be piloted by human beings. Another difference that this illustrates uh, between Shuri and Tony is that this is obviously a much more conservative approach. Shuri is not treating you like Peter Parker and handing you Edith with uh, access to this endless supply of drones that can attack and kill people 
and also commit acts of terrorism. She's not giving you that. Uh, what she's giving you, what she's trusting you with, is a suit that helps you respond in emergencies, but there is a limit to what you're going to be able to accomplish. It's not like all of a sudden you can become an Avengers-level threat all by yourself because she's given you this suit. You have the ability to fire repulsor blasts. You have the ability to put a shield up and defend yourself. So you have what you need in order to actually you know, accomplish the mission, but you don't have more than that. And so it, it shows that there's kind of a certain level of of responsibility that Shuri already feels with the technology that she's creating and the technology that she's giving you. Um, and I think that really does speak to the, the, that speaks to character. And I love that they kept that in mind as they were, and they had that clearly informed this experience. Yeah. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, this is essentially what Justin Hammer wanted in Iron Man too. Mm. If you, if you think about it, you know, piloted yeah. uh, suits, where you know, obviously in the story in that movie is that you know uh, especially with the roadie is that a pilot is much better suited to 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 make that call than AI. So right. in a way, you get the best of both worlds. You get someone who actually cares about what they want to do, like Shuri, yeah. as well as the technology that Justin Hammer wanted in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it it is like that, except uh, obviously Shuri. Much more pure intentions. Than, of, co- of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pure intentions from Shuri, not so much from Justin Hammer, who just wants to make money and, and try and prove that he's smarter than Tony Stark. And it, none of this is to say it's a knock on Tony Stark. It's just a difference between these characters, although we've seen that sometimes with Tony's, uh, some of Tony's ambition has got the better of him, and he hasn't always thought things through completely. Uh, Shuri seems to be thinking things through uh, when it comes to these emergency response suits. And so I love what that, I really do in, enjoy what that says about the character. And everything else with the characters here, it just feels... They feel like they've always felt in the movies. Scott and Hope, uh, Stephen Strange, with you, whom you interact with for just a bit, even a little bit with Korg there. Everything just feels, it, it feels like the friends you've been watching in these movies for the past 11 years and, and 23 films up to this point. And uh, I love that from Marvel Studios' perspective, again, from uh, Dave Bouchor, the executive producer, talking about they, they approach this like they would anything else. Obviously, there are many, many unique challenges to this because it's a completely different thing for Marvel Studios. They've been making movies, and even though we haven't seen it yet, they've been making Disney Plus shows. They've been working on that stuff, but this is a completely different space for them. And uh, But even though th- there are a lot of things that make this experience unique, uh, both for them and, and for you as the person going through it, there is that familiar emphasis on on story and, and another and that familiar emphasis on character as well that that I, I think really tends to shine through that that's one of the things that i think what's made marvel studios so successful on the big screen is how much they prioritize character how much they prioritize story and now we're seeing that uh in avengers damage control i don't feel like it got any less because it was this different uh, type of technology yes it is a different kind of experience but I, I still found uh, I still felt the same level of care going into this. Yeah, and I think I asked you this uh, on the Discord a few we- a few weeks ago about who came up with the story, and I'm glad I did just because I know this is a, this is a name I can watch out for just in case he does do more with ILM or this sort of medium, or heck, even if it um, transfers into on-screen stuff, regardless if it's movies or or into Disney Plus shows or anything like that. So yeah, like I'm a huge fan of this team and how how they how they were able to pull this off. Yeah, I mean, in the Marvel Studios team that develops the movies, I mean, they were involved on they were uh, involved in this. the The lead artist on this for the suit design was actually uh, Josh Nizzi, but they but Ryan Minerding, the head of visual development for Marvel Studios, he was involved. Andy Park, uh, the director of visual development of Marvel Studios, he was involved. So everybody. Uh, you know, everybody at Marvel Studios who normally touches the movies or the Disney Plus series kind of had a hand, at least had a little bit of a hand in the the development of this. And as I said, the same level of care, it just it shines through. And I and I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, it's it's thumbs up from both of us and shields up or whatever you want to call it, repulsor blasts up for us. And speaking of the repulsor blasts, I should add, they are perfectly timed uh, in terms of how long it takes to actually charge the blast and then actually shoot with it. It's very... I think the timing is just about what it is in the in the movies. It has that familiar rhythm. So if you're familiar with the ch- the quick little charge and then blast of the repulsors from Iron Man suit, then you'll have the timing down uh, when you actually go through damage control. But 
love the experience overall. And I'm also interested in wondering, I really do wonder now what this kind of thing can mean for Marvel Studios in the future, because this is brand new. I mean, they've never really done VR before. There have been small little things like they I remember there was a little VR demo of like walking through the dark dimension uh, a little bit. I remember doing that at the Doctor Strange press junket. So there have been some of those little things, but I don't even know where you could actually do those. I mean, those weren't void experiences or anything, and, and they weren't really games. It was like you're just walking in a room. So this is the first big uh, experiment with VR for Marvel Studios. I think it's a success. And it seemed like there was a pretty long line of people in Anaheim when I was there. I mean, it was it looked like it was pretty full. They were going to be running through people all day at that location. So I think uh, everybody, uh, I, I think this is going to do very, I think creatively it's a, a success. Financially, I think it's going to be a success. And so this feels like something Marvel Studios could do more of. And I wonder what they'll do in terms of how they, how the, how much they allow this stuff to interact with the story. So the official answer on whether or not this is canon, because of course I asked, it's not definitely canon, and it's not definitely not canon. So, um, and with Marvel Studios, I mean, we can't make the same assumptions that we do with Lucasfilm and Star Wars, where, except for the stuff that you know became legacy books and or the, became the EU and, and all of that, like the. Star Wars, you know, a lot like Secrets of the Empire, for example, their ILM X-Lab VR experience, that is canon. It is part of the Star Wars. The, the mission that you go on is actually part of the Star, the Star Wars timeline. I could not get a definitive yes that this is actually part of, that damage control is part of the Marvel Studios timeline, meaning we cannot say definitively that Ultron has come back in uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe just because he's the villain of this particular experience. And uh, I'll just before we get into the canon discussion, let me just throw the the quick caveat out there. Uh, it, it in my experience, it didn't matter that it was canon. I had to ask because it was my job to ask, but I didn't care whether or not this was canon. It, I felt like I was in the MCU timeline. Whether or not this is an event that actually counts in the MCU timeline doesn't really matter to me because I can act, because it counts for me. I'll remember this experience, uh, and that's all that that's all that really matters in the end. But as far as whether or not this kind of if Marvel Studios is going to make these kinds of things canon, it doesn't sound like they are. And I'm actually okay with that because if it's not canon, they can allow the experience to actually be a little bit bigger because of this whole thing with Ultron. Like they don't actually have to worry about what this means specifically for the MCU timeline. And, and I suppose this could be retconned and become canon at, at some point, but they have to be careful about that, especially with something like this because even though I was able to go experience it and a lot of you listening are going to be able to go have experienced it or will experience it. A lot of you listening will not be able to experience it. You're not going to be able to get to avoid location. And so I certainly don't want it to be a thing where there's this big story in the MCU that not everybody has a chance to see. So, um, with this, so for stuff like this to flirt with the idea of being canon as opposed to like formally being in the timeline, I think that might actually be the the best approach, even if stuff like this is uh, continues to be successful. Yeah, I hope it's canon. Uh, I'm I'm basically going to reiterate what you said. You know, I I loved it. You know, you're right. You're not going to take this experience away from me. The fact that I fought along. Right. Exactly. But if. If anything, I guess in my own headcanon, if you will, I'll, I would put it kind of as a like point five story, yeah. like in a comic book run. Because mm-hmm. I'm yeah, because I'm reading the uh, Spider-Man Hunted series right now, and I've just finished with one of those point five books, and I'm like, yeah, it's not the main story, but it's definitely something like an offshoot, just a little bit background. So, if it eventually became something like that, great. But I, you're right, I'm not expecting it. Right. Yeah, I mean it's. It's the kind of thing where I'll put it this way. It's in my mind, I'll go ahead and kind of think of it as canon, but I won't call Marvel out if they contradict this story in some way. You know, like if they, if Ultron comes back at some point in the MCU and they don't acknowledge that he's already been back one other time, I'm not going to be upset about that. If we find out that. Shuri is developing these uh, developing developing suits like this, and it and she's only just started developing suits like this, and maybe they're a little bit different than these ones. If that's how they approach it, and, and there's there's ultimately a contradiction that actually excludes this from canon in a way, I'm not going to be upset about that. 
But short of those kinds of contradictions, yeah, I'll probably allow myself to think of this as canon. I mean, it's perhaps it's not that different from if you want if you want to feel like the Marvel TV shows for the past several years have been canon, you still pretty much can. I mean, there are some contradictions in some of the shows now at this point, but for the most part, you can go ahead and you can kind of have it be part of your your head canon. This is definitely part of my head canon, and as far as its actual relationship with the timeline. I'm going to go ahead and feel like it gets to be part of the timeline until, uh, unless or until there's a, a point where it, that's impossible because of there there are some severe contradictions. But I don't know that Marvel Studios plans to bring Ultron back, and if they never do, then this would be the the official return of Ultron in the MCU or the uh, the unofficially official return of Ultron in the MCU, and it would hold up for me in in that way. And it, it's a great point that you make about being a a point five story. It's not really hard to imagine that this has happened in the timeline because we know that the Avengers have missions that we don't see. They spent, what was it, like a year or so uh, hunting down various Hydra cells in between Captain America the Winter Soldier and Avengers Age of Ultron. So we know that we haven't seen every single Avengers mission and we won't see every single Avengers mission. So this could just be one of those missions that, that we don't see on the big screen. And in that way, it still kind of gets to count and be part of the timeline. Even if we can't get an official ruling from Marvel studios that says, yes, this is Canon. Yes, this happened. Yes, this is part of the timeline. It's more like you are part of the timeline, whether or not this story is actually part of the formal timeline. Uh, but as I said, I mean, there's, I do have some mixed feelings about it because selfishly I want to feel like I got to play a part in a canon story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, there is that part of it, but there's also that part of it that makes me feel like, you know, loving the MCU and loving the community of MCU fans that we have, I don't want pe- other people to be missing out on part of the, the canon of the MCU. So um, if Marvel Studios ever makes an official ruling on this uh, and they rule in favor of this being canon, then I hope at some point, I know they're not going to do it now because they want people to buy tickets and they want people to go through the experience. But once this experience cycles out of the void and something else kind of takes its place, as as is what happens, if this is going to be canon, I would love for them to actually play uh, you know, like they did with the story trailer, just play through the story, just put up a YouTube video or whatever that shows the story of this VR experience for Avengers Damage Control. So that way, even people who didn't actually get to play through it know what the story was, and so they have some familiarity with it, and they get to still have all their bases covered in terms of knowing their MCU canon. But if they're not going to officially rule this as canon, then I suppose they don't need to. Uh, they don't need to do that. Not that they would need to do it, even if they made it officially canon. I just think that would be a nice thing to do uh, for MCU fans so nobody has to feel like they're they're missing a part of the story. Because this is a part of the story that even though it doesn't necessarily have to have the, the biggest... Because this is fairly standalone in that the Ultron threat emerges and is extinguished within this one experience. Uh, even though it is kind of standalone, we all still like to be able to check all the boxes and complete our MCU canon checklist. So if this is going to be officially canon, I hope everybody gets the opportunity to uh, to at least do that much. And what will be interesting, though, from and and this could, you know, because I feel like we're going to have the debate of, of how canon this is or isn't for forever until there's a definitive ruling on it. But what will be interesting to see is, uh, and this was acknowledged as a possibility when I asked Dave Bouchard this as well, is whether or not this could actually uh, influence future stories. And, you know, the idea of Shuri designing suits. And, you know, he wasn't committing to any specific idea being carried forward, but Marvel Studios pulls from everywhere. And so, yes, this could actually serve as an inspiration uh, for other things. And there may be elements of this that you uh, that we recognized in, in future stories, whether it's on Disney Plus or the movie. So that is a possibility. It's not a promise that that's going to happen, uh, but it could happen. And if it does, uh, that would certainly point to this being canon if we actually see it uh, informing the other stuff on the bigger small screen in some way. Yeah, because I was thinking about it just now, like at the end of Age of Ultron, when when uh, Vision and the last bot, or at least we thought was the last bot, was having that in-depth conversation, mm-hmm. You know, cut away to see a, a white screen blast, and we thought that was it. Well, guess what? Turn maybe they could just retcon it and say, "Well, turns out there's a couple more bots that got away, so Ultron yeah. is still out there." Yeah, I mean, I I feel like the door was already open for Ultron to come back in Spider-Man: Homecoming because as Peter's like rummaging through one of those damage control halls, I think it's in that first bag uh, outside of Washington D.C. Uh, there's an Ultron head, and he's like, "That's cool," and then he just drops it, and I was like, "Well." 
man, like I never saw an Ultron head, especially because that was one of like the that wasn't just the regular Ultron bot. That was more like a, a proper Ultron head that was still intact. And I'm like, well, if that's still intact, I don't know. I mean, is that the kind of thing where if somebody takes that head and hooks it up to something? Because I know Vision like closed Ultron off to the rest of the internet or whatever by like putting his fingers in his head or whatever. But so like if Ultron gets to come back, if somebody hooks it up to the internet and all of a sudden it gets to expand again, like we could see Ultron coming back. And that may have been how this happened. Or maybe Ultron you know, copied himself and, and left it buried somewhere deep in the internet and had to kind of piece itself back together, similar to how Jarvis did. Um, you know, although Tony had to be the one to piece Jarvis back together in Age of Ultron, but uh, Ultron could have done something like that. That may be the result of how this story came about. That may also be how another Ultron story comes about. Um, but it would be it would be pretty cool if, if Ultron came back and you found out that it wasn't necessarily uh, that it wasn't necessarily the first time and they referred to something from this. But if they are going to refer back to this story and have Ultron's next return actually be a next return and not his first comeback, then I hope they find a way to keep everybody up to date on exactly uh, what the story was, whether or not they actually got to go through the VR experience. Um, but let's turn the, the conversation, Jim, to the, the future of these experiences, because now that we've we've been through this, and it's extraordinary, um, it, it wouldn't be the MCU if we weren't also looking forward to what's next. So... Uh, there are no post-credit scenes in Avengers Damage Control, so there's nothing like that. Uh, but we can, of course, dream about the future, Jim. So is there some other type of VR experience related to the MCU that you hope to, to be able to do one day? I Two things. I would like to see more of... And I, you, you, you say that you kind of already saw some of this related to Doctor Strange in like a, uh, a premiere. I would like to see more of Doctor Strange, whether it be in the dark dimension or any of the other dimensions. Because remember how crazy that sequence was when the Ancient One sent Strange through uh, through all those dimensions. So I would love to be, have something revolve around that. And just for pure comedic purposes, Ant-Man. Yeah, I mean I would love the, – the shrinking portion of damage control – I felt like I wanted a lot more of that. So like, I was like, man, yeah. could you imagine like being able to walk through like in the same way that you're walking through the Sanctum Sanctorum, like walking through different areas at, at different sizes. Like I want to feel, I mean, I kind of want to feel not only what it's like to be shrunken down, but blown up to be full on like giant man. Uh, that yeah. would be cool in, uh, in, in a VR experience. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing for me now, if, if I were to look at what I would want to do in a VR experience it would probably have to involve the Guardians now because we got plenty of Avengers in this one, but we don't get Guardians in um, – we don't really get a lot of – unless I missed a Guardian in there. I don't think I saw any. Um, so it would be cool to, to interact with since we have had this, this Earth-based mission for Avengers Damage Control. I, I think what I would like to see next – uh, would be something in space. And, and I, I think I totally understand why they wouldn't have done space in this one because they already did Star Wars, and so it felt like maybe it would be a little too repetitive to go into the space side of, of Marvel. So I think it would be cool to now do something with that. But this is where I'm getting greedy because I still have Earth-based things I like, like more Ant-Man type of stuff. But if there was a mission with the Guardians, uh, that would also be uh, be a lot of fun. Uh, but I think for this first one, it, it made sense to focus more on the Avengers. I mean, the Guardians, from a theme park perspective, I mean, they've already got the ride. They've already got Mission Breakout. And, uh, and so that's – and speaking of canon, I mean, that's almost kind of how this feels. And, like, you're on a mission with the Guardians in the Mission Breakout ride in uh, in Disney California Adventure, but it's not really part of the MCU canon, but it doesn't matter because the ride's still a lot of fun. So this was kind of similar to that, but um, I, I would love to be able to interact with the Guardians in, in some form or fashion in a VR experience for Marvel. I, just, I really hope this isn't the, the, uh, the last one. I know these things take a while. It took them a couple years to actually make this, so it is like making a movie in that respect. It's not something that... Because this one works, they can put out another one in a couple of months and, and be ready to go. It takes uh, it takes a while to develop these things, um, but I hope they keep going because this really was a great experience. and And I hope that maybe there's going to be other ways of, um, you know, because there are, I know VR is, uh, you know, well, 
it's it feels like it's always being described as an emerging technology, even though it's been around for a long time. But we're seeing more and more things with it, even home-based VR experiences. And so I, I think maybe Marvel will be able to work on some of that in the future. But I really like the Void experience the most because it, it is the most immersive. It is the most interactive and uh, I just, whatever they do, if it's if it's the MCU, whether it's officially part of the canon or not, I know I'm going to have a blast just based on this experience with damage control. So there are things I would love to go off into the, the into the space slash cosmic corner of the MCU. I would love to shrink down and see the MCU from below like Ant-Man. I would love to see it from above as Giant-Man. There's all kinds of things uh, that I would love to do uh, for these VR experiences. So I really just hope we get more of them uh, and that each one feels very different from the last. I concur. So I think that is where we will go ahead and wrap up this conversation about Avengers damage control. But before we get out of here for the week, I do have some folks to thank. So let me say thank you very much to Danny B and Alan Weiss or Wise. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, which gives them access to exclusive content that is not available anywhere else. So we do Patreon credit scenes where we discuss an additional topic on top of the main episode. So for this week's Patreon credit scene, we'll talk about Cloak and Dagger being canceled as we continue to see more of the fallout uh, for Marvel, the end of Marvel Television 1.0, and we're also going to talk about an update on Haley Steinfeld's situation as possibly being Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series on Disney+. Plus. So we'll be talking about that over there, uh, but we also have other exclusives like the Daily Bugle. That's a Monday through Friday news show that I host. We have commentary tracks. We have the Marvel Unlimited Book Club where we talk comic books. Uh, so all kinds of exclusive audio as well as a Patreon-exclusive uh, Discord community, uh, which is really awesome. We have a lot of great conversations over there, as you've heard Jim referring to it throughout the show. Uh, it's just a blast with the community that we have uh, talking uh, talking Marvel pretty much every single day, several times a day. So hopefully we'll see you over there. And for more information, oh, and also with the exclusive audio, you do get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe via RSS so you get everything, the main show and the Patreon exclusives. You get it all in one feed. You don't have to track down Marvel Studios news in multiple places. So for more information on our Patreon and the tiers that we have available, please visit patreon.com slash News, And then make sure you keep up with us in all the usual places, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram, at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter, at Marvel Newscast. Jim, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at J.H. Scroggs, that's S-C-R-O-G-G-S. And if you want another sports podcast to listen to, you can find me on the Sports Porch, where my buddy's Clark Arico, that's at Sport, at, that's at sports, sports, sports Porch Cast on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Jim and Paul in absentia, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.